G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Right now, school leavers, the class of 2022, they're letting their hair down and celebrating the end of high school. And while many will navigate their week remaining safe, others will throw off restraint. They'll drink alcohol to excess and experiment with drug use. What might be disturbing is that almost half of 14 to 17-year-olds reported their main source of alcohol was mum and dad. Well, our special guest today says the schoolies' mental health and ever-increasing permission models of illicit drugs is one of the biggest dangers facing young people today. So whether it is on the Gold Coast or Airlie Beach in Queensland or Byron Bay in New South Wales, Dunsborough in Western Australia, Rye, Phillip Island or Lawn in Victoria or Victor Harbour in South Australia, schoolies has become a rite of passage. And interestingly, when I was doing that little research about where the main schoolies centres are, I couldn't find a main schoolies centre for Tasmania. So if you're in Tasmania, you might like to let us know where that is. So what are the perceptions developing around the alcohol and drugs issue in Australia? And is it a parenting deficit that's putting our teens at greater risk? Well, we're back today with Shane Varco. Shane is CEO at Dalgano Institute. It's one of the 300-plus member organisations of the World Federation Against Drugs. Shane Varco, a special welcome back to 2020. Oh, thank you, Neil. Always a joy to be with you guys. Hey, Shane, it appears most cases this year, schoolies are receiving a tick of approval, uh, whether it's the police or other authorities, generally pleased with good behaviour. What are your perceptions? What goes through your heart and mind, given the the sorts of things that you do around this time of year when schoolies are, you know, letting their hair down? Uh, good behaviour is one thing. Uh, others are experimenting with drugs and alcohol. What are your thoughts? Yeah, look, that's a, that's a good question. And, of course, risk management and risk potential are always uh, a concern for any any person looking, working with young people and have been doing so for a long, long time. And, and watching the harms emerge from bad choices, and I'm going to use the word bad choices deliberately uh, rather than just inadvised or ill-advised, uh, but bad choices come from usually from bad information uh, slash bad environments. And we still make choices, don't get me wrong. We're all responsible for our inactions. But, but it's interesting what sort of models and uh, environments shape the perception of a young person. And certainly schoolies has historically created a pretty toxic environment. I don't think it was an intentional environment, uh, but certainly you put a whole bunch of young people there, let your hair down. Some are turning 18 uh, which makes them legally able to access alcohol, uh, and uh, but certainly not, not illicit drugs. No one is allowed to uh, access illicit drugs. But yeah, the concern is that there's kind of the, the rest, as you talked about, some of the various restraints that have been uh, consistently eroded over time have created some pretty dangerous spaces. But in the last 
five years, six years particularly. And, and with COVID, the advent of COVID, we've seen a bit of a shift. And we'll talk about that later on. But but the, whilst you've inter, uh, intimated that the single biggest, well, one of the single biggest supplies of alcohol was parents, that too is shifting, which is really great due to secondary supply laws and other more important education models that enable parents to to look, to, to look better after the kids anyway. A lot of things in what you just shared there, and we'll try and unpack some of those. And for listeners, uh, you might have picked up on some things there which you think are very important. You might like to make your own contribution. Shortly, we'll open our talkback lines. Uh, interesting, when we get to a radio program like this, Shane, uh, we're talking about these things in a negative way, saying drug use and alcohol uh, are are actually detrimental. As you say, bad choices yeah. are made from bad information and bad environments that we find ourselves in. But look, I'm, I'm aware that your job's getting even more difficult too. Uh, some of the critics of people who were, uh, you know, speaking out in favour of uh, teens being able to use as much drug al- drugs and alcohol as they want, uh, calling you an extremist organisation. How are you uh, coping with that? Yeah, look, that's always a difficult one. Again, pejorative remarks are always, you know, are always a, a key tool of propaganda. You just make a sound bite and try and be a smart mouth and, and dish out a one line that you think is going to successfully best your opponent. I um, mean, look, that's social media cancel culture dynamic when that's when it's, sorry when cancel culture arrests and 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 inappropriately supervises social media, then you get those kind of remarks. But yeah, it, it doesn't. Uh, in any way diminish the evidence and I think that's that's what we continue to, to bounce out of in all that we do. The literature is quite clear, the evidence is uh, overwhelming that any substance use for the developing brain is bad news uh, any substance use, illicit or illicit uh, the developing brain is very very subject to that and my, my biggest concern just bouncing back into to one of the opening lines about mental health issues is that you know, it, I'm fascinated by by two phenomena around substance use that that are, are growing concerns. One is domestic or and or in, intimate partner and or familial violence, depending on which which uh, particular framework you want to look at, and mental health issues. They they are both growing, and the single biggest contributor to both of those is substance use. Yet there's this kind of decrying of these uh, the, the, and, and, and very, very loud concerns expressed about both of these arenas, and rightly so. I mean, they're just very, very concerning on so many levels, both short and long term. But at the same time, there's this, this winking at, or worse, a tacit promotion of illicit substance use and, and, and again, mocking people like, like our, our movement, uh, our significant global movement, that are enacting the most important protective behaviours for mental health and against violence, and that is the delaying and denying of uptake of substances. Now, when you've got a person, a group of people decrying you for doing that, and at the same time speaking out against, and some of these groups are in mental health organisations, uh, speak out against other oh, concerns about mental health, but at the same time wink at marijuana use, for example, or alcohol use in young people. It's very, very interesting to, to, to watch that dichotomy in play because it, it creates, at the very least, cognitive dissonance. But, of course, no one calls it out because it's, they kind of silo the two... Uh, they try to silo the two agendas and pretend that they don't intermix, uh, intermingle, but they clearly do. And as I said before... It's alcohol and other drug use is the single biggest contributor to familial and and and, it, and worsener of for better poor English 
of of those two two realities. And I think that's something that needs to be uh, in the public discourse a lot more. Mindful here, of course, parents are the ones who model uh, behaviour around alcohol and uh, even to Mm -hmm. the extent of drug use as well. Uh, If you are a parent these days who says you should say no to drugs or say no to alcohol, and uh, that's a little more rare, but uh, if you are that sort of parent and you do say no, uh, you're likely to be labelled these days as an extremist too. Is that the case or is it happening more and more? It's happening to organisations like yours, perhaps every parent uh, who supports the sorts of things that you're uh, you're a proponent of uh, is uh, in the same boat. We could be labelled extremist. Yeah, well, that's interesting because the irony in that state, in that question is that there has been a significant decline in uh, alcohol uh, use from the fourteen to seventeen year seventeen year old demographic over the last ten years because of a, uh, a growing public concern about alcohol misuse in the health sector. So the health sector has finally caught up with what we've been banging on about for decades, which is always amusing. But of course, we're a small not-for-profit group. Uh, that's you know we're not funded by government, so of course we we tend to be off the radar a bit. But we do work with local and some state government settings, and uh, and we, you know, there's credibility in what we do, and we have international connections as well. It gives us weight. So we're certainly not a, a, a voice without relevance, and certainly in some places we're not seen as extremists. We're seen as in, in part as almost pioneers in this space. But that's a very small group of people that view us that way. But depending on, again, the, uh, the socio-political persuasion of that group, it's always an influencer as well. But I, I digress. The, uh, the secondary supply laws, which is a, uh, a basically a statute that, uh, that prohibits uh, any adult from providing alcohol to a minor. Now, most states and territories had... And um, you know, I can be corrected on this. So, if any viewer, uh, sorry, any listener has that uh, has that data to hand, but I'm pretty sure most, nearly all states and territories, but certainly Victoria was the last ones to in- institute this, because you know, the secondary supply law means that, uh, in for example, New South Wales. I just I'll, I'll give you an example. New South Wales had this on their statutes for a long, long time, and so basically, if if uh, my son Billy, who's 14, goes to your son's house. Uh, to, to mess around and your liquor cabinet's open and they get stuck into the booze and uh, you can be you can be done, Neil, in, in, this, in this hypothetical, for supplying alcohol to my son if I protest. Now, you weren't home, your son did it, but you had, you had it there. So literally that was on the books. Victoria took forever and we were part of a lobbying group that saw that change about three or four years ago. And uh, so those laws have come on, on and now, because we're having, there was these benders being held, 16th birthday parties that were just outrageous and uh, keggers were put on and people were rocking up from all over. There was brawls. Rural Victoria had huge problems. They introduced secondary supply law, $8,000 fine per person per breach. Hmm. All of a sudden, 16th birthday parties with keggers disappeared. The community violence did plummeted, you know, um, neighbourhood violence plummeted. So all these things started to shift. And also, it also enabled parents to have a tool to go, you know what, it's illegal for me to give you alcohol, son, daughter. Um, and But more importantly, I think the modelling is, as you said, getting into that particular issue is a really key factor. When mum and dad are hitting the source pretty hard, and then they say to their, their son or daughter, hey, don't use drugs, but, you know, if you're going to use something, use alcohol, it's legal. 
we know from the evidence now that any substance, and alcohol particularly, is very, very dangerous for the developing brain. And that messaging is getting through. The secondary supply laws is getting through. Young people between 14 and 17 getting back to that demographic again. Uh, there's, there's been a massive increase of uh, 14 to 17-year-olds 17 17 abstaining from alcohol use. Sadly, though, the, the pro-marijuana lobby have, and uh, pro-illicit drug lobby have managed to creep in behind that a little bit and they've got their, and their tacit permission modelling has, has kind of almost convinced kids that, yeah, alcohol is a pretty nasty drug, but, you know, I mean, weed's not too bad. It's a plant after <laughs> we'll, all. We'll talk and about so this. Uh, let's talk yeah. about this uh, contradiction. Um, yeah. Just to, to, to just reinforce what you're saying here, here's a case where legislation actually supports the parents in their role Correct. in trying to keep their kids safe, as you say, those secondary supply laws. Uh, it's actually helping young people uh, to not be exposed to these sorts of things. And interesting, and listeners might like to have their comment, but when I'm hearing you describe uh, you know, needing to lock away that alcohol when you've got under-18s coming around, uh, it's a little bit like the gun-safe idea, isn't it? You know, Keep those weapons... <laughs> Uh, under lock and key, and if you don't have them under lock and key, well, then you might be up for a significant fine. But the contradiction here, uh, this is very interesting, and uh, the ACT and their changes to uh, yeah, illicit yeah. drug laws uh, leading the nation uh, in this way what, by what we might all call bad laws, uh, this is the contradiction here, alcohol and drugs. How do you describe it? Well, again, the cognitive dissonance, you know, which really is, it creates a, a, a real brain break. In, and I don't mean brain break as in halting, as in breaking the brain. Because uh, kids, uh, young people developing, and, and particularly their brains are developing, and understanding logic and reason and rationale. Every time you create a confusing model, what the default mode tends to be uh, uh, the peerage or the environment that they're in that determines whether they will or not jump into something. So, you know, when you've got a parent at home saying, look, and a parent doesn't, it drinks very responsibly or doesn't drink at all. Uh, and so, in other words, uh, alcohol is only used as a condiment with a meal once or twice a week. There's never a binge. There's never a session on alcohol. There's never, and and, and they say to their child, look, you know, I'm not going to give you alcohol till you're 18. And, and, and the kid sees that and sees that modelling. That can be uh, very beneficial. Uh, but then if the parents are, you know, contrary to that and all their, uh, their their parenting isn't there. The parenting relationship isn't isn't a, a good and positive and interactive one, and the kids are kind of dis, disenfranchised from the family. Then they hear one message: "Oh, alcohol's bad." And the other message: "Oh, decriminalising drugs because you know what? Everyone's kind of doing it, and you know, criminalising something like that, it's like it's it's creating a normalcy dynamic. And the kid goes, "Well, okay, drug use is kind of becoming more normal." And everyone's sort of pushing back against booze. Maybe, maybe I should. You know, and then the kid gets, "Should try this, man. Try weed." You know, and and all of a sudden you got a peer-informed decision rather than a best practice-informed decision because modelling's out. You know, the the clear instructions are, are been muddied, and that and that's the the key to any disrupting disrupting of a of a of a culture. You just got to create this confusing uh, cognitive dissonance. And then throw in a look, you know, do whatever you feels right for you kind of dynamic, and away you go. And of course, repeating again, I can't reiterate this enough to your listeners: any substance use 
for the developing brain does damage. Now, we're not saying it's catastrophic damage or huge damage or noticeable damage, but it does damage to the developing brain. And that's an accumulate can be an accumulative effect if it continues. And that's a message that is one of the messages that needs to be got through to young people. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Our special guest is Shane Varco. Shane is CEO at Dalgano Institute, one of the 300-plus member organisations of the World Federation Against Drugs. Dalgano is a health education charity. And so uh, we're talking through all sorts of issues around drugs. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Uh, let's take some calls here, Shane. Gary is in Campbelltown in Sydney. Hi, Gary. Welcome along. Morning, Gary. Hello. How are you going? Good. Gary, yeah, what are your thoughts? I feel, like I've, I feel like I've got a lot to contribute to this conversation. Um, it, it, it growing, growing up, when I was 18, 16, 17 to 18, um, I had mates that got me involved in smoking marijuana and we used to think, oh, there's nothing much wrong with it, you know, it's not too bad. But you sort of have it for a while and then a few years later you're sort of having more and more and then you're going out spending all your money, hockey and everything to to buy, get money to, to buy it. And, um, and I've spoken to older people, younger people now, nowadays and um, and they have the same attitude saying oh it's not that bad it's not that bad it's all right and, and you try and tell them how bad it's because I, I um, spent years not um, really having much money because I was spending it all like I said I was hocking stuff to make money to buy it and then that led into other drugs but it also led into a time of addicted to marijuana it was like I I used to have it sort of nearly every day. I used to go to work with with smoking it before I go to work. Um, and it just becomes so bad. And, and people who say, oh, it's not that bad, you, you talk to someone like me who's been there, done that, who's been addicted. I've seen the worst. And when I first started, it used to sort of give me this, oh, laughing high. And then after a while... It used to, um, it, instead of having that height, it used to just sort of, sort of knock me out nearly. Where yeah. I couldn't talk to Gary. Anybody, you've got a great story to tell there. Let's get a thought or two from Shane because uh, your story, Gary, appears to be, you know, it all sounded like fun in the beginning, and then it developed into an yeah. addictive yeah. behaviour, and then it takes over, and then you recognise uh, you've got no spare money left at the end of a week. Uh, Shane, your yeah. thoughts for Gary. Oh, look, Gary, thank you so much. Look, your story is is common, and not not to in any way diminish your 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 personal story, mate. Very very concerning, and I'm sorry that you went through that. And but it is quite a common uh, enterprise, and of course the pro drug pro cannabis activists are always on about. Look, not everyone who who uses weed becomes addicted. Now that's true, absolutely. Not everyone who uses weed becomes addicted. No problems at all. But we know from now the particularly the completely engineered so-called plant that it is now, as I've said many times on this program, the plant that God created uh, doesn't exist anywhere on the planet unless there's a place where it's growing where no white man has ever been. Uh, you'll find there is no engine, there is no natural cannabis plant going. They've all been so heavily engineered, 
And so even the, the, the products that, that are distributed today have got the psychotropic toxins in that are quite disturbing. And now we know cannabis is contributing to cancer, not cancer healing. It's contributing to mental health issues, to psychosis. Oh, you know, we go on and on and on. But yeah, it is both physiologically and psychologically addictive. And that's an important distinction. And I think one of the issues today about permission models in, in bouncing back into what we're talking about when we've got a culture that's, you know, uh, you know, we talk about medical marijuana, and there are marijuana medicines that are, that are derived, therapeutic properties are derived from the marijuana plant, and they are properly placebo uh, accounted for, double-blind uh, trialed medicines, and there are only three or three or four of those on the marketplace. The rest have been given really a kind of a, a hall pass as a potential. And so my concern is that you put the term medical in front of something and people perceive it's, got, uh, it's, it's actually harmless. But of course, we know all medicines are poison. But cannabis, particularly when it's used in a recreational context, is incredibly bad. And of course, the mental health issues that, uh, that arise from that are growing. And now we know from even recent research coming out, very recent, which we've published on our websites, is that it doesn't in any way, people who, they did a trial of people who use weed for depression, and, and they used the weed on the spot. It made them feel better interimly, but then their depression got worse. And the literature says there's no credible literature that says weed is good for depression or mental health. And now we know from other literature that cannabis is so bad, the high, high end, sorry, high end THC laden cannabis, that's the psychoactive, psychoactive substance that gets you high, gets you stoned, gets you wasted. Delta 9 THC uh, is 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 has high content anywhere between 75 and 98 percent content. This particular version of THC is so powerful that it actually outstrips LSD and all other drugs as sending a person into a permanent state of psychosis. Now that's data that's on the market. Double H, sorry, it's peer-reviewed published literature. That's being ignored ostensibly by by the pro drug advocates who make policy. So when you've got governments like the well, the not everyone in the ACT is on board with this. There's a couple of great senators there that are pushing back. But when you've got governments saying, look, you know, we're going to decriminalise these high end toxins and pretend that's not going to be a problem because we're just saving money on on second on um, on uh, legal actions, if you like, supply issues, is creating a whole nother in, uh, backdoor of harms to the community, yeah. which only add to the criminal harms as well because people do things when they're stoned that they wouldn't do when they weren't. Anyway, that, that's a concern for us. And, of course, when kids are going to schoolies, that's a rite of passage that you get to let your hair down. Now we can add cannabis to that or throw in a few eckies or a few whatever, uh, a few shards of meth, and all of a sudden the kid's in a real mess. And not only are they interimly in danger, but in the long term, they've got some harms coming their way as well. Yeah. Uh, Gary, I've still got you yeah. with us. Gary, I, I note when yeah. you were sharing your story, you were really coming from a place of uh, this was me in my younger years. You were about to say yeah. something about how you came through that. Uh, yeah, well, it, it's sort of like my, uh, some people I got to know who are Christians and sort of share the gospel. And I eventually became, gave myself the, the Lord. And then that, then I, I was able to break free from it then. That was only until then I managed to turn it all around, turn my life around. 
You know, uh, having faith in God and the hope that comes with that, uh, getting a new world view on how things work in your life, these are powerful things that happen when we go through an experience where we have an encounter with God and where good things uh, result uh, of a new view of our future. Gary, thank you so much for your contribution today. 1-800-316-316 is our number. And uh, let's take another call. And just in the lead up to news, an anonymous caller from Mackay in Queensland. Hi, welcome along. Hello, Neil. And uh, your guest, whose name I have forgotten, I'm sorry. It's Shane. Hello. Shane. Okay, need to be quick. Um, Yeah, yeah, I will be quick. Uh, From my own personal experience, my parents gave me very little bits of alcohol when I was growing up to teach me to enjoy it as a, for the flavor of it, basically, and to teach me how to drink it properly. And personally, that has meant that I don't care for getting wasted. As a matter of fact, I really hate getting drunk. And I read a study once, because I did an assignment on it, that it made you two to three times less likely when your parents do that uh, to not have alcohol problems later in life. Um, was I being lied to? What do, what do you think of that? Uh, Shane, your thoughts? Uh, yep, yeah, no, no, thank you. That's a good input. See, it's interesting that you compare, just quickly, compare two cultures, Anglo-Saxon culture versus Mediterranean culture. Uh, so we, the Anglo-Saxon culture tends to be a binge culture. Mediterranean cultures tend to treat alcohol as a condiment, not a central ingredient. So that that, that uh, interesting that early um, involvement with alcohol, occasional drinking, never binging, that can model. But what we've found is now because of the science around alcohol, that if you're having a sip here or a sip there, that can influence how your brain responds to alcohol. But now we know that because of the developing brain, alcohol, uh, it's not just about whether you can become addicted to it or binge or not. It, it does diminish or has the capacity to diminish brain development. And so that concern is not just about whether you get addicted or not. And, and the value of your example is there. The literature around it is very strong about this being a, a, uh, a bad move. I'm not saying that it doesn't have some potential effect, depending on other cultural factors like modelling, family environment, peer environment, like in, like in France, for example. But it does, uh, the, the rest of the literature is very clear that there's the actual alcohol itself in your system, not a cultural use of it, creates its own set of problems. And that's why they're really concerned about long-term effects because that data has been um, unleashed, or if you like, unfurling in the last 15 years. Shane, so I've got to cut in here because we're about to go to news. Go we're going to take some more calls in just a few moments. Um, Shane, just a quick thought or two, though. Uh, some people are saying, well, schoolies, it's just a harmless getaway with friends. Uh, nothing wrong with it. Uh, we all ought to do this. And, uh, you know, lots of us will be on the same page there. But you've also got to take these risks into consideration, haven't you? Oh, absolutely, Neil. I think uh, I think getting away and, and uh, deep decompressing is a good thing uh, unfortunately you know, when, when a western culture determines that decompressing is substance use it's got to be part of that whether it's legal or illegal that's the concern we have we think the idea of celebrating uh yeah the end of you know what is a a serious phase in one's life and uh, stepping into into officially into adulthood uh, according to the the laws of the land 18 plus uh officially into adulthood can be done in all sorts of ways i know there are there are alternatives to the classic schoolies. There are different schoolies, schoolies uh, organisations around the place that take uh, young people into, you know, uh, humanitarian work, uh, into uh, outbound camping kind of kind of deals. And so there are all sorts of ways of doing that. 
And I think schoolies could be a really, and can be for a lot of people, a really good fun time with friends. But unfortunately, when you throw in in substances into that into that context, it can be really, really, it, the celebration can unravel very quickly. one 316 Let's take a call. Anne is in Labrador in Queensland. Hi, Anne. Welcome along. Hi, Anne. Hi. Um, I just want to uh, um, tell you oh, something or other, uh, or maybe help you. Um, I was just wondering, um, before the Grade 12 finish, whether you can have a program put in there to tell them about the drugs and alcohol and make it so that you have a video to show them exactly what the effects are and how they affect them, you know, as they... um, even a, a program so that they can realise what's going on and, and how that can affect them because I just believe, I don't think it's just the parents, I think the parents do, do try to do a good job but when they get peer pressure and they get peer pressure from other people that go down to schoolies and this is where they they maybe cave in and, and try and, and, do, and test the things. And, and so I think it would be good idea. Yeah, yeah. fabulous. I, I you know I think of organisations like Red Frogs. Uh, that's uh, yeah. really uh, perpetuated around the nation, and uh, they're yeah, doing those sorts of things cool, in schools. Yeah. Um, uh, this is the sort of thing. Uh, do you do that sort of thing too, Shane? You've got uh, some of yeah. your team going into schools and uh, warning yes, young people absolutely. of the, some of the dangers. No, we do that. I think and and spot on there. And thank you for that. And uh, concur fully with it. And certainly, as you've said, Red Frogs are. A fabulous uh, uh, sort of uh, support group for for that space, and they do some preliminary stuff as well. They go in to schools beforehand to explain all the the potential risks and harms and benefits of schooling. So they want to they want to laud the, the good bits and and help the kids celebrate safely, healthily, uh, and of course they they talk about the substance use. Uh, as well, but we certainly have uh, programs that uh, talk about that, and just pointing out the the bad things. And again, not in any way taking away from Anne's exceptional insights there. We, we need to communicate that. But what we found over time is that that message of of uh, that challenges the real and, and and brings to to the fore the real negative aspects of this stuff has to be couched really carefully in a broader context, worldview, uh, values of the kid. Resiliency development, understanding peer pressure, uh, so that that when they hear that message of, of that that does clearly display the the harms of that, it's also touched in their potential future, what their values are, what their relationships want to be, and when that is brought into that framework, they tend to listen to that more. You just throw up drug use is bad, and all their mates are wink, and you, know, you have these horrible scenes of you know you know horrendous outcomes of drug use, which do happen. Um, and not to everybody, of course, but they do happen. And then the kid next door says to him, who's already been dealing using drugs for the last 12 months, go, man, I've been using weed for the last 12 months. None of that's happened to me. That's a lot of BS. And now all of a sudden they go, oh, 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 okay. So again, we need to, to couch it very cleverly. And, and that's something we've learned how to craft over the years now through our groups. And kids, well, they still have to make their choice, but they do hear it in a broader context. And they do hear it and understand it on several different layers, not just this may do you harm, but it could not do you harm. You could have fun instead. Those kind of juxtaposes don't work in the long run. Uh, having creative ways to communicate good choices. And thank you so much yep. for your call. one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's continue to take some calls. Jason is in Moralbark in Melbourne. Hi, Jason. Welcome. Hello, Neil. How are you? And hello, Shane. 
Hello, good, Jason. Good, Jason. I, I like to say, I'd like to share a story with you. I lost an uncle due to drug abuse. His name was Shane, just like your guest, Neil. And he left me a message. He said, Jason, don't take those drugs for they will ruin your mind. And I strongly agree with Shane regarding the message that drugs are very negative. Illicit drugs are very negative and alcohol because we need to make sure the young people are safe in those areas that they're doing school eating. Jason, thank you so much for calling in and uh, and offering your own personal insight there too, uh, losing an uncle. Uh, Shane, your thoughts for Jason? Yeah, look, thank you, Jason, and and for sharing that. It's a very painful story, and and certainly uh, I've got family members who have not lost their life but lost their identity and their agency because of drug use, and it's 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 an awful to watch that happen as well. But yeah, to lose someone, uh, uh, and of course their mind went first. But it's it, I really uh, I want to reiterate that it, when you talk about drug use and being bad, one of the interesting things that just came out of uh, literature re- recently published came out of the University of Illinois, I think, in in in, uh, in the US. It's only six months old, this data. And they found that when they, they surveyed tens of thousands of, of young people in America, and the single most uh, important protective factor, get this, single most important protective factor for resisting drug use was the belief, the genuine belief in the young person that drugs were bad. Now, that's fascinating. When, when, so that, that's not just, oh, you know, an, an information campaign, drugs are bad, don't do drugs. Um, that's part of it. When the parents say drugs are bad, don't do drugs, that's part of it. When the school says drugs are bad, don't do drugs, that's part of it. When a recovering drug user says drugs are bad, don't do drugs, when their peers around them are saying, hey, there's a better way forward than using drugs, let's do this. So you have the, the, the proactive and the reactive working together. Then they begin to shift. The, the, the kid goes, you know what, I don't, I don't want to use drugs. And so when the, the, the peer comes and says, hey, oh, hey man, do you want to use some drugs? The rest of the peer says, no, no, we, we kind of don't want to do that. So we know negative and positive peer pressure both work, but they're both informed by elements around them. And so the, 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 the most important key protective factor is that. But interestingly enough, just on bouncing back into one of your previous callers, uh, stories around his exit from drug use. He talked about encountering spirituality. And we're now finding in the literature more and more, which again, we've been aware of because of our involvement with uh, 12-step programs and therapeutic communities for decades, is that you know, uh, spirituality is a key factor in re- not only in recovery, but in prevention. In one, uh, one research paper that came out of Vermont in, in the US, they found there's all these factors contributed to the uptake of marijuana, everything from, you know, modelling to bad experiences to parental, you know, breakdown, familial breakdown, peer pressure, lack of education, all those things were there. But the significant, this is interesting, the significant factor that prevented someone from taking up marijuana was the key, the key biggest one was their faith, their involvement in religion that prohibited it. That was the single biggest factor in them not taking it up. So all the other factors pushed into that space, but there was someone with a worldview that's a meta-narrative that's beyond the, the transitory that's gone, you know what, I'm anchoring to something beyond myself and that's going to help me make better decisions. And so I thought that was fascinating that he's experienced that as well in your context. 
Fabulous stuff. And Jason, thank you so much for a great contribution. one 316 We're taking calls. We're talking drugs, alcohol. You might have your own perspectives. We're talking schoolies. We're talking parents and responsibilities there too. Let's take another call. Graham is in Tasmania. Hi, Graham. Hey, Graham. Hello. Look, the government itself has responsibility for looking after teenagers and young people. The other thing, God talks, you know, being a Christian or acknowledging there is a God, there's right, there's wrong, we don't go over the top, we don't go excess and if you haven't got a God or you might be sick, you might think you're going to die, sometimes we, when I was a kid I, I was thought I was going to die so I got stuck into the grog, it didn't, I'm still here 50 years more later, it didn't, whatever it was, it didn't kill me, but the fact is, uh, God said for men to go to battle they had to be at 20 years old those under uh, was free, and the same thing with the when they committed uh, sin against God, uh, those at twenty and up died, and the younger did survive. The mind is at maturity. At, at God says the mind must be uh, twenty year old is maturity of, of mind and proper judgment. Uh, that's an interesting one you're raising there, Graham, uh, when you talk 20, and uh, I'm not sure of uh, chapters and verses around that uh, and the age of 20, and 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 perhaps uh, you're across this, Shane, but it's interesting, isn't it, because there is a debate that goes on as to the legal age of drinking alcohol. In Australia, it's 18 years. Uh, in places like the US, which you might assume uh, are going to be fairly liberal in these sorts of things, but it's 21 years uh, before you can actually legally go and buy alcohol at uh, a hotel. Uh, it's an interesting in thing places, for Graham, yeah. Yeah, for Graham to bring into uh, into this the sort of the age that you might think, even from a biblical uh, standpoint, is there something in the development of the brain that you've been talking about uh, that means you know the longer the delay, the better. But certainly, that's that's a very key element in in what's the science is emerging. And I'm not sure of that particular text, of course, of in that it's in the Bible. But in Australia, the legal drinking age was 21 up until the Vietnam War, which was really fascinating because that this obviously buys into what what's just been said by Graham. Is that uh, the argument? The only reason it came down from 21 to 18, and it was a smart move to keep it at 21. Of course, they didn't. Was because of the Vietnam War. The argument was is simply this: if they're old enough to kill, they're old enough to drink. Now think about that. We're talking about PTSD issues. We're talking about the immaturity of the developing brain. Alcohol is introduced to that. Self-medicating under stress. You can see all the problems that arise from this. So keeping and, and keeping uh, and obviously keeping young men out of battle up to 21 makes sense as well because the brain is still developing. So in every area, it's not about whether you can go and kill or not, or whether you can join the army or not, or whether you can drink or not. It's about the developed brain and what contributes to that. And certainly, substance use diminishes the developing brain. We know that, but uh, it's not the only factor that contributes to that. So there's a lot of other factors. And you know. Talking about your, your your worldview again, that obviously Graham's referred to a biblical worldview that informs narratives, and of course philosophies of every ilk, uh, atheistic, uh, even atheistic, you know, they, they, they don't believe in a god, or th- but they believe in, in something higher. So there, there's a lot of different views around the need for a stronger inner life, and that the person with the stronger inner life has is is greater capacity to resist the their surroundings or to to govern their surroundings so those those factors continue to be have always been in play but science now is actually 
uh, monitoring those, evaluating those, and publishing that data. And that's becoming more and more uh, prominent in the literature. So we're fascinated by that phenomena, and we're seeing that, in, and particularly from not just a substance use, but mental health issues, because all these things are tied together, Neil. They, they are all inextricably tied together. And once you try and silo them out and try and operate them separately, this is where you have a problem because some policies you may think, oh, look, you know, let's lower their age to 18, it'll be fine. But all that affects brain development, which affects other issues and mental capacity and agency development. And you can see all the issues that arise. But when one group just has a cause that they bang on about without considering other factors, then this is what you've got. You get this kind of disintegration factor. So a more holistic approach to this is necessary and uh, we certainly do, from our education, health education perspective, we're holistic in what we do. We, we look at, try to look at all factors, worldview, meta-narratives. We look at um, psychology. We look at mental health. We look at, uh, at physical health and all the factors that contribute to the, the proper development of capacity and agency of a young person. Very, very important to build resiliency into young people. Fabulous. And Graham, uh, the uh, the scripture text you're referring to, it maybe there's a number of them, but uh, Numbers chapter 1, verse 45, uh, which says all the Israelites 20 years old or more who were able to serve in Israel's army were counted according to their families. So uh, certainly is a, a 20-year, uh, there's a foundation there, and uh, you might argue about uh, scientific, uh, science and uh, and whether that's, uh, all the same uh, today as uh, it was for the Israelites in the way that they had their ancient ways of uh, writing those things down. But certainly there is a biblical reference there to that 20 years old. Graham, thank you so much for your call. At 1-800-316-316 as we're taking calls. Let's take another anonymous call. This one from Western Australia. Hi, welcome along. Hey. Hi, I've just started listening. Uh, have you got me? Yes, got you. What are your thoughts? Oh, okay. I've just started listening, so I don't know how on the ball I am with it, but I've come from a history of drug abuse, and I've come right out of it and through it, and if it wasn't for God and the hope that he's given me, um, I just, yeah, I didn't see the point of coming out of it. Like, the li- this life had nothing to give, um, so I was fine with, you know, just going down that road until it all caved in and I died, but the hope that Jesus Christ gave me, um, and now the peace that I've had is far beyond any peace I've experienced through drug use to try and escape, you know, stuff. Um, And the peace now, I wouldn't want to give it away because, yes, I could go and use drugs tomorrow if I wanted to, but I don't want to because I don't want to lose that peace and that fellowship I have with my God who loves me and who has great purposes for me now and yeah you know we talk a lot don't we about uh, the substances that people are abusing uh, but the substance of our faith can keep us afloat and uh, when we're an understanding of that transcendent god the god of the bible and the new purpose that comes when we're aligned with him his identity and his mission, uh, our whole view of the world changes. And uh, I want to thank you so much for calling through and making a, your uh, your testimony here at the end of our conversation is just outstanding. So I want to thank you very much. And so you, you, how long ago was that? Just uh, you, the caller from WA, how, how long ago was that you were, that you had that encounter with God and you've changed your direction? Uh, 16 years. <laughs> okay, 16 years. 
and holding strong and you know what it is to have the peace of God. So uh, I want to thank you so much. Shane Varco, something to add for our listener? Oh, look, yeah, look, that's, that story is uh, it's, it's repeated ad infinitum all, all over the place. We see that happening in, in, our, in our encounter with the recovery alumni. It's, it's, it's quite common. That transcendent is, element is a key factor. An encounter with something transcendent that takes them out of this, that space, just as incidentally, the term high you know, that people use, I want to get high, is actually a term related to trying to transcend the current circumstance. I want to get above what I'm feeling and experiencing. I want something more. Drug use is a counterfeit. It is always a counterfeit. It is a rearranging of biochemical matter and firing neurons to create an experience that is not sustainable. And that's the that's the the big juxtapose there. That's the that's the comparison that we're seeing across the board. Substances, as much as psychonauts will try to tell you that the new high priests of of um, psychedelics will try to tell you that they found a new pathway into the God realm, and all it does is bring grief. And there's a, a saying amongst I'll end with this: the saying amongst the recovery alumni that says this: drug use ends at some point. You either get clean or you die, and uh, that is. That couldn't be a more true statement for the vast majority of people we know. So it'll shorten your life. It may You may go on for a long time, but it will shorten your life And if you don't give it up. So again, uh, we want to see young people flourish. We want to see them grow to their full capacity and potential. And we know that they protect their mental health and their, and their, and their physical health as well and their well-being and their general sense of agency capacity. We know that substance use can't be part of that. And we're hoping that this year at schoolies that'll be a message that gets through and more and more kids will use less and less substances. Well, I want to say a special thank you to that listener and that caller from WA uh, for sharing your story with us today on 2020. And time is running out, Shane. And some might be thinking, uh, where do I go for help uh, so far as having an addiction problem? Uh, I'll often... Uh, well, from time to time, have guests from Teen Challenge who have a very, very high success rate in helping people come through and get off their addictions. And uh, so for listeners who want to uh, Google Teen Challenge, where do you refer people to uh, so far as you know getting free from these things? Uh, I guess you've probably got a list of organisations. Shane, is there, is there something look, comes to mind uh, where you refer people no, who've, look, we, who've got this? We do, we do have various... Yeah, Neil, we do, sorry, we do have various... Options. Teen Challenge is one of our go-to groups because of their, they've got good therapeutic communities in play across the world. Uh, so therapeutic communities we really value. And, of course, they're not the only, only uh, vehicle for, for recovery, of course. 12-step programs are really good. AA, NA, they're, they're also good referrals. We used to run NA in our office here for a while. Um, we provided our office for them, sorry, that they could use because they're an independent group. Uh, so, yeah, we, we subscribe to those. But therapeutic communities like Teen Challenge are exceptionally good. Uh, because they do offer both, uh, you know, a good supportive environment as well as a focus on the transcendent. Uh, the uh, look, we also have um, our website www.greaterrisk.com is a one-stop shop for alcohol issues. I mean, young people particularly, so it's parents and kids on alcohol laws and regulations and best practice. It's www.greaterrisk.com, and uh, that's a that's one that we recommend people go to just to check data and updates on bits and pieces and of course our nobrainer.org.au website for uh, teachers and students is also available for education uh, and uh, programs that we've got in play. 
And if you missed all those and you were trying to find a pen to write those down, uh, never fear. You'll be able to hear this conversation on a podcast a little later on this afternoon on the 2020 page at vision.org.au where you'd find uh, 2020 podcasts. Hey, Shane Varco, uh, outstanding contribution to our conversations once again today. And uh, just to mention that Dalgano Institute, it is a health education charity and that means Correct. you do remind you do rely on uh, uh, those who are supporting the good work that you do, uh, not only uh, in a, in a moral way, but sub, but uh, financially too. And uh, no doubt there's a a give button on your website. I hope there is, yeah, so there is. Uh, listeners might want to even support the good work that you do. Uh, Shane Varco is the CEO of Dalgano Institute. The Dalgano Institute website is dalgarnoinstitute.org.au. You did mention no-brainer as well. No doubt there'll be a link to that on the Dalgarno website. But Shane, always good insights. Thanks so much for taking some time to share those with listeners today on 2020. Oh, thank you for the opportunity, Neil. Always good. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.